over 20 years ago, it was one of those experiences that you never, ever forget. It began when I woke up one morning shivering with cold. Not surprising, you may say, given the normal British weather. But I was not in Britain. I was in Nigeria and the temperature was around 80 degrees Fahrenheit, around 20 degrees centigrade. And despite covering myself with blankets, I just couldn't get warm and my teeth were literally chattering with cold. An hour later, the blankets were on the floor and my whole body was burning with a raging heat which wet flannels and cold towels could do nothing to alleviate. Our family was living in a mud-walled house in a bush village some 20 miles east of the town of Jos, where the nearest doctor was to be found. We went back a couple of years ago, 17 years later, and the house is still standing, and amazingly, even the bed where I suffered. However, we didn't need a doctor to diagnose what was wrong. We didn't even need that most invaluable tome that all missionaries and travellers carry, which is called, Where There Is No Doctor. No, not even a blood test, had it been available, would have made the diagnosis any more certain. My telltale symptoms all pointed to one diagnosis. I was suffering from malaria. Thankfully, most, though not all of you, have never had malaria, for the disease carrying Anopheles mosquito does not frequent Scotland at the moment. And for that, we can and should be thankful, for many in our world are still at risk, and many, especially children, still, sadly, die of the disease. But all of us, without exception, are at risk from a far more deadly disease. One with which every member of the human race is infected and affected. It goes by various names which describe different aspects of its nature. But the most common word in English is a little three-letter word and it's the word sin. S-I-N. A deadly disease. Sin is that inbuilt bias within me which prompts me to want to go my own way rather than God's way. So, when faced with a temptation to do something wrong, I am prone more than often, too often, to give in to it rather than to resist it. The New Testament letter written by a man called James describes this kind of process or pathology, if you like, of sin. What he writes, James 1, 14 and 15, each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, 
gives birth to death. Now, sin is like the mosquito bite. And death, after maybe many bites over many years, is the end of the process. And in this case, not just physical death, but final separation from God. Eternal alienation from God. But between the act, sin, and the consequence, death, are the symptoms that you suffer. When the malaria carrying Anopheles mosquito bit me, it was a minor irritation if I felt it at all. And there were no serious consequences immediately. It was not like being hit by a bullet. No, they came some time later. In the case of malaria, several weeks later. But they came nonetheless. Now, when you sin, when you do something that is wrong, there will often be no immediate, unpleasant symptoms. In fact, there may well be pleasure in the act. And apart at first from maybe some guilt feelings, pleasant after effects. Otherwise, what would be the attraction in committing the sin in the first place? But eventually, and it may take weeks, or months, or even years, there will be symptoms. These symptoms may occur in your body, they may affect your mind, or in your personality, and certainly in your character or in your circumstances when you sometimes suffer the direct consequences of your actions. Now, the crucial factor is what you do when the symptoms occur. When you experience them yourself or maybe someone who loves you and cares for you points them out. What you do at that point is literally a matter of life and death. And if you look in the Maker's Medical Handbook, otherwise known as the Bible, you will discover that God the author, the expert, offers only one remedy for the sickness of sin. Expressed by one word, which is found both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. It is the verb repent and the noun that goes with it repentance. Here for example is God speaking his word to his people Israel through the prophet called Ezekiel. Therefore, O house of Israel, I will judge you each one according to his ways declares the sovereign Lord. Repent. Turn away from all your offences. Then sin will not be your downfall. Rid yourself of all the offences you've committed and get a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, O house of Israel? For I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Sovereign Lord. Repent and live. Here is Jesus, God's Son, the beginning of His public ministry, proclaiming God's Word. The time has come, Jesus said, the kingdom of God is near. 
Repent and believe the good news. And later, in answer to questions about those who had died in first century tsunami-like experiences, some from a massacre in a temple, others from a tower that had fallen down on top of them, Jesus says, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. But what is repentance? What does it look like? What does it mean to repent? That's what I simply want to try and answer with God's help this evening. Before and in preparation for our communion together as we share in bread and wine. For each one of us begins, starts out by repenting. And sadly, for each of us continues to sin, we need to go on repenting. So I want to look at the subject of true repentance. And I simply this evening want to focus on just one verse from the New Testament. It's part of a letter that a man called Paul, a messenger of Jesus, wrote to some Christians in Corinth. He'd been having problems with them. He had to write a very strong letter to them. And he wasn't sure about what kind of response he would get because he was pointing out some symptoms that were evident in their lives and in their church. And in the middle of this, he states a principle. It's 2 Corinthians 7.10. It will come up on the screen. So what he says. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. Now, the reason why I've chosen this title, True Repentance, instead of simply Repentance, is that this verse tells us that there is something else which looks like repentance, but is not which looks outwardly like a remedy for sin, but in fact leads to death. And it's important, therefore, to be able to distinguish between the two. If you ask most people to define the word repent or repentance, they will say, if they have any idea about the word whatsoever, that it means being sorry for something you have done. I looked it up in my dictionary says repentance is remorse or contrition for one's past action. But 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10 tells us that this definition of repentance is wrong. That remorse or what it calls worldly sorrow is not repentance and does not lead to repentance and does not lead to salvation. And the problem, of course, is that outwardly what he calls godly sorrow and worldly sorrow look pretty similar. You may find two people who are very sorry about something that they've done. They may, in fact, both be in tears about it, distraught. But they're not the same. And I find that even Christians are confused about this. And unless you get the diagnosis right, it will prove fatal. In much the same way that I may have said to myself on that morning all those years ago in Nigeria, oh, I've just got a headache and I'll take some aspirin. 
and to continue with that could have proved fatal. So, in a matter so serious, how do you distinguish between the two, between repentance and remorse? Let me try and describe the difference to make it real in real terms. In the hope that you and I, will, with the help of the Holy Spirit, will do some personal self-examination and ask, am I truly repentant? Have I ever repented? As I come around this table, am I repentant? Or am I just really remorseful? So let me first of all state what the difference is as a kind of principle and then I'll illustrate it with God's help. Let me try and distinguish between the two things. The difference between remorse and repentance. Simply put, it's this. Remorse is concerned with myself and my suffering. Repentance is concerned with God and my sin. Remorse is concerned with myself and my suffering. Repentance is concerned with God and my sin. And let me illustrate this, put it in real terms, by looking at two characters from the Old Testament part of the Bible. One of the great, if you know the Bible at all, one of the great tragic characters of the Old Testament is a man called Esau. He was a twin and the older of the two twin boys. Brother was called Jacob. And Esau was a man who treated God and what God offered him lightly, carelessly, and he lived to tell the tale. Now, as the firstborn son, Esau, by right, by birthright, would inherit all the promises that God had made to his grandfather, Abraham, and his father, Isaac. But Esau was one of these people who was more interested in the life of the body than the life of the spirit. And so one day, when he came in from a hunting trip, because he was a big outdoor type, the Bible describes him as being red and hairy, macho sort of type, you know? He comes in from a hunting trip, famished and exhausted. And there's his stay-at-home soft brother, Jacob, who's a bit of a mummy's boy, cooking a meal of his favourite red lentil soup. Now, I lived on lentils for a year in Nepal, and I don't know what Esau saw in them, but just, just stay with the story, all right? Esau comes in, exhausted, and he says, Quick, let me have some of that red stew, I'm famished. Genesis 25 verse 30 it's in the Bible alright but crafty Jacob said first of all sell me your birthright now what did Esau say no way what all God's promises for a bowl of soup he said look I'm about to die what good is the birthright to me a stupid man of course he wasn't going to die Rather, his priority was satisfying his immediate physical desires and appetites. So he swore away to Jacob, and in those days they took these things very seriously. He swore on an oath, okay, you can have the birthright, give me the soup. Now, the Bible says, Genesis 25 verse 34, Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew, he ate and drank, then he got up and left. 
so Esau despised his birthright. And sometime later he got what he had asked for and he didn't get what he had sold for a bowl of soup when he was tricked out of the blessing of his father by Jacob. And when he discovered what he had finally missed out on, he was distraught. Esau said to his father, Don't you have one blessing for me, my father? Bless me too, my father. Then Esau wept aloud. Big, macho, red Esau wept aloud. And outwardly, it may have looked like repentance, but it was in fact only remorse because he was sorry for what he'd missed out on. And the New Testament, which is where you always look for commentaries on the Old Testament, if there is any, comments on him as follows, as a warning. That's what it says. Listen carefully. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterwards, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing he was rejected he could bring about no change of mind that's the word repentance in Greek that's what it means metanoia change of mind he could bring about no change of mind though he sought though he sought the blessing with tears now I know some of you many of you I don't know and even the ones I do know, I maybe don't really know very well. And you may be suffering this evening the consequences of bad things that you did in the past. All this seemed great at the time. But if you're honest now, you'll live to regret it. You always end up living to regret it. Ultimately, it just takes longer in some cases. And you may be very sorry. But my question this evening is, is your sorrow merely focused on the painful consequences you are suffering? And the fact that you wish you hadn't done what you did? Because like Esau, you have missed out. Commenting on our verse in 2 Corinthians 7, Ralph Martin writes, Worldly sorrow comes about because of the unwelcome consequences of sin. The person who exhibits this response of worldly sorrow may indeed seek to avoid future actions and their consequences, but in no instance is the person driven to God for that individual feels no deep-seated remorse over actions taken against God. Now that leads to the difference between remorse and repentance. Remorse is described as, in 2 Corinthians 7.10 as worldly sorrow, sorrowing as the world does. It's natural to everyone. Everyone's sorry when they suffer. But godly sorrow has the added dimension. What is it? Well, it's God. You see, sin, by its very nature, is a theological word. It's something to do with God. Otherwise, you can just argue there's no right and wrong without God. Just what society deems is good or bad. There's been a program on television recently, I think it's still running, of this guy who goes around visiting remote tribes in different parts of the world. You may have seen some of it. The advert for one of the programs said, this week he visits a man who is a cannibal who has eaten two people but turned down the third because he didn't like the taste. It's regarded as a kind of joke that people in the world eat people. Well, it's just their habit over there, you know. They're different to us. They eat people, we eat 
takes me hours. See, there's, there's no right or wrong. But God says eating people is wrong. Full stop, wherever you live. Right and wrong is defined by God. And the sin is an offence against God. So when I become aware of this, my concern is not just what I've done and what I'm suffering. My concern is that I've offended God. So by way of contrast with Esau, who is an example of remorse, think for a moment of Israel's greatest king, a man called David, who is an example of repentance. Here's a story that would grace or disgrace any soap opera. Okay, king looks out from balcony one evening. Down below, beautiful woman bathing. King sees her, takes a fancy to her, sends a messenger to find out who she is and discovers she's someone else's wife. Makes no difference, sends for her, sleeps with her. One night fling, except that some weeks later he gets a message from the woman saying, Help, I'm pregnant. And my husband is away at war, where David should have been. What do I do? Here's the symptoms kicking into place, alright? What does David do? Sends for husband and says, You've been doing a good job out of the battlefront. Why don't you go home and spend a night or two with your wife? And you know what the soldier says? He says, I couldn't do that while my men are fighting. I'll sleep at the palace door, but I'm not going home. Problem runs into problems, further problems. King calls in general and says, You know, you're either Hittite, send him back to the battlefront, and when you're attacking so-and-so town, pull all the men back at the last minute so that he gets killed. So, general does as King tells him, soldier returns to battlefront, big battle by a woman, this is a summary of the long story, eh? big battle, general pulls all the troops back, Uriah the Hittite is killed. So king sends for a woman, marries her, and they have a son, a baby. They all live happily ever after, you would think. But David is the king. And who's going to stop him? Even if they know about it. Cover up. No one except God. Who sent along a prophet named Nathan one day to David's palace. He says, oh king, I've got a story to tell you. There were two men in a certain town, one rich, the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb that he had bought. He raised it and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from its cup and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. This was a pantomime of religion. Ah. Now a traveller came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveller who had come to him. Instead he took the ewe lamb that had belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. Boo! David is angry. David burned with anger against the man. Said to Nathan, As surely as the man, as the Lord lives, the man who did does this deserves to die. Then the prophet says to David, You are the man. And he goes on to list the consequences that will follow this act of sin in which David's own wives will be humiliated when others sleep in open view with them. 
and his son that is born to him will die. Now, at this point, David has a choice. He can simply order his guards to remove the prophet or remove his head. Or he can bluff and deny his guilt and say, I don't know what you're talking about. Or he can claim mitigating circumstances. Well, actually, I know, but it was the woman's fault. She shouldn't have been bathing down there after all. What do you expect? Or he can weep and plead with the prophet, please, please, ask the Lord not to do what he said he's going to do. But he does none of these things. He simply says, I have sinned against the Lord. I have sinned against the Lord. No ifs, no buts. Now notice the words carefully. Against the Lord. Not against the woman or against the husband but against the Lord which is a far more serious matter. His full prayer of penitence is recorded in the Hebrew hymn book. It's Psalm 51 where he says the same thing. This is what he says to the Lord. For I know my transgressions, my sin is always before me against you and you only. Have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you approve right when you speak and justified when you judge Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. He realises the seriousness of his problem. That it's not just his sin, but his sinful nature. And that only the Lord can renew and restore and forgive him. But that process begins as it must always begin with repentance, which is turning from your sin and turning to God. Now the question they ask you is, have you ever prayed that kind of prayer? Have you ever or more likely knelt or prostrated yourself before God and said I sin against the Lord no excuses no prevarication no mitigating circumstances full stop I have sinned against the Lord have you and I ever realised the seriousness of our situation far worse than malaria before he returned to heaven the Lord Jesus Christ said I'm going back to heaven and I'm going to send someone like me, the Comforter, the Holy Spirit. One of the things he'll do is this. When he comes, he will convict the world of sin, of guilt, in regard to sin, and righteousness and judgment. Now maybe this evening, you are standing in the dock, or sitting in the pew, standing in the dock. Maybe this evening you're under conviction of your sin. Even as I'm speaking, to your mind have come things that you've done that you, in the past that you wish you'd never done, that you've regretted. But maybe this evening also God is speaking to you about your need to repent. Now all I can simply say is this, if that is so, be thankful. Because God is at work in your life. If you were sitting here thinking, how much longer is it going to go on and I need to get home and watch the telly, then be concerned. Not because of the eloquence of my words, far from it. But because when God the Holy Spirit speaks to you in convicting power, it's because of God's mercy. And maybe this evening you need to do that for the first time, to come to this table in true repentance, turning from your sin, turning to God. You can only turn to Christ when you've turned from your sin. Because you can't have Christ and your sin together. They're mutually incompatible. 
turn from your sin, you turn to prayer. This is the best place to come because this bread and wine says to you, there's forgiveness here. Because Christ died to pay the price for that sin, to put you right with the Holy God. Maybe you're a Christian this evening. Many of us here would claim to be so. But you've sinned against the Lord, you've gone your own way, and now you're suffering the consequences. Maybe everybody knows. But maybe nobody knows what you've done. And you're living with a secret. But you're suffering the consequences. Now, don't focus on the consequences and your suffering. Focus on God and your sin. Seek His repentance. Seek his forgiveness by coming again to this table in repentance and faith. Because that's what this table is about. It's level ground. No merit. And I simply ask you this evening, what is your response? Now we come to the conclusion. Which is not the very last bit, but it's the conclusion of what happens at the end of the verse the different outcomes of repentance and remorse. Look again at the verse, the contrasting outcomes. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. Notice the contrast. Repentance leads to salvation with no regret. While remorse leads to death. Now, let's just briefly unpack these two by looking at two characters from the New Testament. First of all, Judas Iscariot is an example of remorse. Judas is known throughout the world, even his name, by one word, betrayal. He betrayed Jesus. He conspired with the Jewish religious leaders to hand Jesus over to them. Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard, discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. They were delighted and agreed to give him money. He consented and watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when no crowd was present. Luke 22, 4-6. That opportunity, as you know the story probably from the Gospels, came late one evening in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus was praying with his disciples. Judas carries out his intention. All right? First is the preparation, the desire, then the act. While Jesus was still speaking, a crowd came up and the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? He did it. Later, when Jesus was condemned to death, Judas deeply regretted what he had done. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with, notice the words, remorse, and returned the thirty silver coins to the chief priests and the elders. I've sinned, he said. I've betrayed innocent blood. What's that to us? They replied. That's your responsibility. So it was. What's the outcome? So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went out and hanged himself. Worldly sorrow brings death and many regrets. Contrasted with another of the disciples of Jesus who also failed but is an example not of remorse but of repentance, Peter. Judas is known for betraying his master. Peter is known for denying his master. Despite the warnings of Jesus, Peter was filled with self-confidence, but he ended up denying Jesus. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, Peter followed from afar, warming his hands in the courtyard of the place where Jesus was being tried. 
Three times he was challenged and accused of being a follower of Jesus. Three times he denied it. Here's the record in Mark's Gospel, which is probably written with evidence given first-hand by Peter himself. You're one of them, said a servant girl. But he denied it. I don't understand what you're talking about, he said. Mark 14, verse 68. Surely you're one of them, someone else said. Again he denied it. Mark 14, verse 17. You're surely one of them. Your northern accent gives you away, said another person. He began to call down curses on himself and he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. Mark 14, verse 71. The outcome. Immediately the cock crowed the second time. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him. Before the cock crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. Was it remorse? Or was it repentance? Well, the difference is seen in the outcome. He didn't go out and hang himself. Peter's story doesn't end like that of Judas. This is not the end of the story. On Easter Day, when Jesus is raised from the dead, Jesus sends a message to the disciples. He said, I want you to meet with me. To these women who discover the tomb is empty. Mark 16, verse 7. Go and tell his disciples lovely word please and Peter going ahead of you into Galilee there you'll see him just as he told you and in Galilee by the lake where he was first called Peter is forgiven and restored to active service then Jesus said to Peter follow me John 21 19 now here's the contrast from our verse worldly sorrow brings death but godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regrets. That doesn't mean that Peter wasn't sorry that he denied Jesus. But rather that forgiven by Jesus, he didn't live with his regrets or allow them to incapacitate him. Rather his salvation, his restoration to fellowship with Jesus meant restoration to service for Jesus and the rest, as they say, is history. He became this bold, amazing spokesman for Jesus Christ. There's the difference in the final conclusion. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 10. So I ask you this evening, are you repentant, restored to service, or are you remorseful and crippled by regret? This is literally a matter of life and death. I am still here today because I recognised and accepted the diagnosis that I had malaria. And the village dispenser came along and stuck a large needle in a painful part of my anatomy which restored me to health. Do you accept the far more serious diagnosis that you're a sinner and unless it's treated your sin will kill you. It separates you now from God and will ultimately separate you eternally from God unless you deal with it now. For the Bible says the wages of sin is death 
but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord that is the remedy that God has offered to us in his son and you and I have this evening another opportunity to accept that remedy by turning from our sin turning to Christ and repentance and faith let's just spend a few moments in quiet